I'm going to do something a little bit different. I generally like to, to stand before a lesson. I don't like being the only one standing before that. Let's, we're going to sing a song, uh, 834. And if you want to grab your songbooks, if you're not able to put it on the slide, I, I should have said this before to them. But I was reminded of this song, leading this here, Salvation Has Been Brought Down. The last verse of this, we're going to just do the first and third. Uh, it's there. You'll notice the last verse, it says, there's a blessed home prepared. Hope has a home is the focus of our lesson. Now, salvation has been brought down. That, that does not mean we need to be. Let's stand up and let's sing this song. <clears throat> and you may want to turn this off if it's on. Okay. <laughs> Jesus gave his life a ransom yonder on Calvary. On Mount Calvary, cruel Calvary, paved the way by blood that we might win a bright shining crown. Praise his holy name. Oh, glory, praise the Lord. Salvation has been brought down. Go and shout and tell it to the world around. Tell it today. Sorrow, tell it today and tell it tomorrow. Preach the word of God that we might win a crown. Tell the lost, salvation is full and free. Spread the news, blessed news, all over the land and sea. Tell it afar, yes, tell it afar. Praise the Lord, salvation has been brought down. There's a blessed home prepared way over in glory land, in bright glory land, blessed glory land. <clears throat> I have trusted in his love, and now I'm heaven bound. <clears throat> Praise his holy name. Oh, glory, praise the Lord. Salvation has been brought down. Go and shout, go and shout, and tell it to the world around. Tell it today. Yes, tell it today. Preach the word of God that we might win a crown. Tell the lost. Salvation is full and free. Spread the news, blessed news, all over the land and sea. Tell it afar. Yes, tell it afar. Praise the Lord. Salvation has been brought down. Amen. Please be seated. Salvation has been brought down. We talked about having a, a hope in a walk, walking with God, because our hope is laid up in heaven. And it's a hope that's beyond expectation because of the grace of God that's been given to us. But hope has a home now. So while we wait, it's been brought down. It's been given to us. And so this lesson is going to focus on the church. But if hope or since hope has a home then the opposite is true. Then hopelessness has only rubble. 
Hopelessness only has rubble. She was a woman of the night. She knew nothing of the concept of God's structure for the family unit. The sanctity of a man with his wife was foreign to her soul. Until she met God's people, she saw something different. She found the hope that she had been looking for and recognized the need to escape her collapsed society. In Joshua chapter 23, or chapter 6, verse or 2, verse 8, Joshua 2, verse 8, says, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. She said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. The Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that, as I've dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall. So she lived in the wall. I think this is powerful that she had built her house, her home, in what was soon to be rubble. Because her life had been hopeless. If you'll notice, this is Rahab the prostitute. And, and notice she wanted to keep her mother, her, her father, her sisters, her brother, and all that belonged to them safe. She knew nothing of family. She had no one that belonged to her. All she knew was that her life was about to be rubble. Everything was hopeless in her home that she had built. She found that hope has a home because she found God's people. In Hebrews 11:1 1, says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You see, they hadn't seen what had happened to Sihon and Og. They heard about it, and because of that, they knew that their hearts were melted. They'd encamped across the river from them, and they're the first stop, and their hearts have melted. And they had faith that the same thing was going to happen to them. For by it, verse 2, the people of old received their commendation. The people of old received their commendation. They received their reward. And we can see that reward play out in their life. As we read in Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. But look at verses 30 and 31. <clears throat> by faith. The walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. It was faithlessness that built a home within that same wall 
But it was faith that tore it down. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Rahab found hope and it had a home. It had a home with God's people. Make sure that I may not have turned, did I not turn? I didn't turn that on. That would be good to turn that on, wouldn't it? Hope has a home with God's people. And now in Joshua chapter 6, if you'll turn there with me, <clears throat> this is after the marching, after this has taken place, she's hid the spies. Verse 23, those same men come who had been spies. They went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city with fire and everything in it only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. See, if you read what happened when Jericho was destroyed, this new home for Rahab is, is described by Joshua here. Her home is not left in ruins. Her home is with God's people, and she lived with them till the day of her death. You see, when she finds God's people, she's finding hope, and she finds a true home that cannot crumble, that will never be destroyed. So with the world, there's a limit to your value. However, with God's people, you will have the greatest value. You're priceless. See, Rahab as a prostitute was regarded by her own people as having a value. But it was a price. Maybe the price of a loaf of bread. The going rate for a woman of the night. That's the world. Not much has changed since then. According to God, she was the priceless treasure brought to Israel. Notice what was brought when everything else was burned and left in rubble. That all of the treasure was brought into the house of the Lord. And then it says Rahab also was brought. She was the greatest treasure brought. And there's no guesses about that. Because we know what took place in the home that she built. And she established, it's truly remarkable. It can only be something that God could establish because that hope had a home for all people. See, it wasn't just for God's people, for Israel. It was for all people from every walk of life, Rahab included. If a Canaanite prostitute can live with God's people, that's an example of how it was meant to be. It's foreshadowing for how it should be for all people. That we all have a past, we all have a background, we all have a culture, but that culture melds together with Christ. And that is the most beautiful picture, and we see that in Acts chapter 2, and we'll look at that <clears throat> in just a moment. For all people. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. <clears throat> I remember as a child going and reading through the book of Matthew, and skipping Matthew chapter 1, 
because I was just not wanting to read all the names. So when I would read Matthew, I'd read Matthew chapter 2 and on. <clears throat> I don't do that anymore. I don't do that anymore. Look at verse 1 of Matthew 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. I love how it just reads on, and you completely miss Genesis 38. <laughs> and you look at what happened with Tamar with her own father-in-law and how these twins were even brought about. And it's through this lineage. This, wait a minute. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Christ. It says in Ram, the father of Amminadab, verse 4, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, Ruth, who was the Moabite, who was another Canaanite, that the Moabites were in constant conflict and war with God's people, and yet through a, an enemy, he brings about someone within this lineage with Tamar, now with, with uh, a prostitute, and, and then with Ruth. It says, and then Obed, the father of Jesse, ah, we're getting familiar, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Talk about a home of hope. When she had built her house in a wall that turned to rubble, that it was only through God that her home was actually to bring about a king of kings and Lord of lords, the Messiah. God can take anyone and bring them to Christ. You know, I've, I've, y'all have probably heard this story before, but mom, um, she... she She's an artist. That's why she's kooky. She does the purr when she hugs you. I love that you brought that out. I didn't think about it. She's done it my whole life. But when she was uh, studying art, she saw all these depictions of Jesus, and she said, you know, there's got to be something more out there because she was brought up in a family that didn't believe in God at all. In fact, um, they, were, they were opposed to it. So she got a bicycle, not like I did. She rode her bike to the closest church building that she could find. <clears throat> and it was a denomination that, uh, that, that practiced this holiness, that the Holy Spirit was still working as far as through miracles and things. And, and the preacher had said to her, everyone put your head down, including her, because he looked at her, she didn't put her head down, she's the only one. And he said, I said, put your head down. And she did. And in true Jenny fashion, she went, and the man walked up and down the aisle, and he was spraying an air freshener, and it was rose-scented. And he said, do you smell the roses? It's the Holy Spirit. People were falling out. Mom watched it happen, and she smelled something else, and she didn't go back. But she kept reading her Bible, and so she hears about a Bible study going on in her dorm room, and her roommate, who is a, uh, she's the, the, the wife of a, of a missionary there in New Zealand still to this day, but her roommate was uh, deciding to go to the study. Well, this young preacher, he was a part of the AIM program. He was a young American there in New Zealand. And, and uh, <clears throat> he heard about my mother wanting to come. He said, she's Pentecostal. She'll ruin the study. Don't let her come. So he said that. 
Well, because her roommate was going, mom knew the time, and so she went anyway, in true Jenny fashion. And she opens the door, she says, can I come in? <laughs> and she came and she studied the gospel and she was baptized into Christ from that study. And that young man who had made a horrible mistake and he would always say that he had judged my mother unworthy, he had judged her as bad soil, that he almost judged her out of the kingdom and it changed his life. It also changed my life because <laughs> my dad met my mom the first day he came to visit his parents. Um, they were married 10 months later. <laughs> she was cut off by her family for becoming a Christian. And, and I will never forget just the, the stories that she shared with me in that, in that journey. But it's a hope that is for all people. And may we never, I mean, and so I'm telling you, I wouldn't be standing here if we had the mentality that it's only for a select few. We've got to realize it's for all people. And I mentioned this just in the last lesson. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning Without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Light shines in the darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend it. If you go down to verse 14 again, it's the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You know what it means to make? The, the, the word became flesh. It literally meant tabernacled himself. It meant that the word pitched his tent. That's a temporary dwelling for a permanent one. Jesus was willing to live for a temporary time. He told, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, would I have told you I go to prepare a place for you? He tells the apostles, I'm going, I'm leaving. I'm only here for a temporary stay. Jesus made that dwelling among us. so that it would not be temporary for us. We would have an eternal home, temporary dwelling for a temporary stay, and that hope had a home for all time. In Matthew 16, 14, if you'll turn there with me, and this is the final point, but verse 14, 13, it says, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, or Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Wow. He says, I'll give you. And he says, verse 18, the most important. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You know, the world, when I was, I was saying briefly during the sermon earlier, the world has come to understand through the Catholic Church that this verse, verse 18, is I tell you, you are Peter, and on Peter I will build my church. 
one verse taken out of context has developed the papacy. And it is, that's all it needs is one verse. And when he's sitting upon a throne that he has, he has this ability to be able to speak the words of God. That's why we have the catechism to this day. All it took was one verse taken out of context to establish something that takes you away from it completely. And that's how Satan uses Scripture. Because it is actually the confession. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, it's you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has revealed this. And on this rock, I'll build my church. This being the confession. That means it's on the confession that Jesus is Lord is the foundation of whose church, not Peter's. It's ironic. He says, I'll build my church, and somehow it's now become Peter's church. It's wrong. On this rock, I'll build my church. And so Jesus, we just saying, salvation has been brought down. It was, in, it was in the form of Jesus, but it's here to stay until it's taken back up into heaven for all eternity. The home of hope is his church. And that's what the plea of restoration is, that we're striving to restore the New Testament church. But you know, I've figured out there's a problem when you say that we've restored it. What happens the moment you start restoring, you stop restoring a vehicle? You ever seen a 1957 old restoration vehicle that needs to be restored again? When we get to the point where we say we're the restored church and we stop, and we just say, well, I know it's there somewhere. I, I know that, 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 you know, well, it was good enough for my grandparents, it's good enough for me. And, and if we can't know why, we're trying to restore the New Testament church, the foundation that never changed, to be careful how we build upon it for every generation that's coming. To make sure that we're being careful how we're building upon it, that we're continuing to restore the New Testament church according to His way, not according to the way I feel or think. And that brings us to Acts chapter 2 and verse 21. Another passage, when taken out of context, is... Again, a temptation. All I have to do is call on the name of the Lord and I'll be saved. Say the word Lord, you're saved. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What's interesting is this is a quotation from Joel and it's in the middle of a greater sermon. It's like that speed limit sign, speed and limit. We've got to read the whole thing to understand what it's saying. He's saying... It will come to pass that everyone, the main point here is to the Jew first and then to the Greek, for all people, for all time. Because when in verse 17, he says, in the last days it shall be, God declares that I'll pour out my spirit. Peter's saying, today's the day. This is when this is happening. So it's now that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works. You know, this is the word dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. And I, I always think of uh, the Scottish way of saying it. Dunamis this point. Dunamis. That's how I remembered it. It's got me through Greek class. But dunamis this point. The dynamite, the power, the mighty works of God are more than a spray aerosol can. 
The wonders and the signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus you thought was a carpenter's son was the son of God and you know it because of the mighty works done through him. Verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was impossible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, now, who is David again? Do you, do you recall the great-great-grandson of that woman of the night that knew nothing of the concept of God's structure for the family unit? The sanctity of man with his wife was foreign to her soul until she met God's people. And through her came God's son. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. And this is my favorite verse in this entire chapter. My flesh also will dwell in hope. That hope has a home. Rahab found it. David found it. Her great-great-grandson. He will dwell in hope. And that's through the Son of God that would come through his line. For you, and it's amazing, the hopelessness surrounding some of the characters within his lineage, God can take hopelessness and bring hope for all mankind. Can, and he did. And that means he can for those who are in a hopeless situation, who have built their life in rubble, they can be rebuilt through God alone. And that's what we're striving to do in reaching those for the cause of Christ. He says, why, why is it his soul will dwell in hope? He says, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. David knew that through the line of Jesus, that through Jesus, he, his soul would never see corruption. He would dwell in hope for all eternity. Hope has a home and it has to do with the church. Because he goes on in verse 36. He reiterates that point when he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Remember, it was 15 different nations that are presented on the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover. And, 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 they're, coming and, and they're coming for one purpose, but God had a completely different one. And they're saying there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind that caused them to all come together. They're saying, how can we all hear in our own native tongue? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Mingu, you're, you're translating into Korean at this moment. I'm sure you would love to be able to do that instantaneously. They didn't need the translator of an individual. All 15 nations heard the same thing. And that's the Holy Spirit that brings us all together. And that's what's so powerful and I'm so thankful that we are all connected through Christ that transcends culture. I was saying this before, in New Zealand we, we studied and, and learned the same thing. In Scotland we studied and learned and worshipped in the same way. In Korea doing the same and here in, in Buford and in Alabama. It's powerful because we simply follow the words of God. He said, know for certain all of you different cultures that have come together, you're all hearing this. Hear this. Know for certain 
that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. That was 50 days earlier. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? When they said that he was Christ, they're saying he was Savior. Remember, we talked about seeing your Savior face to face. They're looking for him. They just want, I just want to see him. You mean I missed him? I was looking at him the whole time and I killed him. That hit them in the heart. What shall we do is asking, what shall I do to be saved? Well, he said, you were sleeping during my sermon. I said, call on the name of the Lord. No, he didn't say that. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were experiencing that gift and hearing it, but they hadn't received it. That having their sins removed from their life, only God could do it, but they had to answer the call. Because he says, for this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off. Everyone who are the Lord our God will call to himself. That's a part of the call. How do we call upon the name of the Lord? By repenting of our sins and being baptized in his name for the forgiveness of our sins. That's what God is calling you to do. That's what God is calling me to do. That's what God is calling our neighbors, the stranger that we meet, to do. And with many other words, he entreated them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. If it was crooked then, how crooked is it now? What happened? Look at verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added a month later. The 3,000 all got together and, you know, we got to, that's a, a big plan. You got to do that. No. That day, about 3,000 souls. 3,000, there were more than 3,000 on that day. You know, there were scoffers that said, these men are drunk. Remember, there were some that didn't want to hear it then, and there are some that don't want to hear it now. That didn't stop Peter from speaking, and it's not stopping me, and it cannot stop you. 3,000 heard that message. And, and if you'll notice, who, they added themselves, right? No, it says they were added that day, about 3,000 souls. But they had to make a decision to obey, but it was God who was making the call. It's his call, not mine, or yours. And I asked my boys recently, they've asked about, they've asked about this. I said, well, what is, what's after baptism? And there was, there was silence for now. But sometimes we think it's just about baptism. and There's a heading there, it shouldn't be. There's even a verse there, it shouldn't be. It's just the next phrase. And they devoted themselves or continued steadfastly. But this idea of devoting yourself says to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You see, the fellowship is wonderful, and, and I have been so thankful for it. As a result of being here, it has just, I cannot. <laughs> wonderful. Fellowship is something we're devoted to. But if, how many people have said, you know what, I don't want the apostles' teaching, I just want the fellowship. I like the meal. Fellowship meal. But I just don't want the word. Why can't we just love each other? 
while loving each other is telling the truth. Being devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, there is a, method, there is a um, pattern there. If we bypass the apostles' teaching, where is the fellowship? We're a social club. We're, we're no different than, than, than the Lions Club. Sometimes the Lions Club does more for a community than the church. But when we're devoted to the apostles' teaching, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. Devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers, we need each other. In verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added, the Lord added, the Lord added. I added those two. <laughs> the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And he's still doing it to this day. Hope has a home, and it's the church. My question, is this world without God? Yes. So this world is without hope. And they don't have a home, they have rubble. And that's all people. They're without the family structure for his children. They're without his church. And they will not escape the collapse of the society that's around them. And I'm not talking about inflation. I'm not, in, I'm not talking about socialism. I'm talking about the collapse of the return. Are your neighbors ready to hear the gospel? You may be the only influence in their life. Are you reaching them? Maybe you're here this afternoon and you're devoted to fellowship and I'm so thankful for that. But maybe you've not been devoted to the, to the word. Maybe you've heard something that, that you need to study up on. You want to continue to work toward. Can we help you? Can we encourage you? If you're not a child of God and you're ready, you, you just put it off, you know, you see, that's what the early church did. And that's all we're striving to be a part of. It's not about the name on a sign. It's about doing what the early church did. If you've not done it, why not this afternoon? If you have a need for putting the Lord on in baptism, if, if you have a need for starting your walk with God because your hope is not on layaway in heaven, register. Get started. Strive to bring as many people with you as you can. If we can encourage you in any way, please respond now. While together we stand.